This podcast is powered by you. To find out more, visit DiscussingTrek.com slash support. Welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Discovery. Hi, I'm Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who Story himself, Cal Jones. Cal, how's it going, dude? I'm quite well, dude. Uh, just keeping busy and enjoying reliving some Star Trek Voyager. Oh, yeah. The good, let the good times roll. <laughs> So uh, next we have the the Stargate professional, Stargate historian, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Barrow. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing good. I'm doing very good today. Cool, cool. And last but certainly not least, we have the tech historian himself, Carrie Brown. What's up, man? Hey, guys. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it has been a minute, but, you know, we're we're back in the saddle back in the saddle ready to do it again so uh guys what we do here on this podcast is review each episode of star trek discovery in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things trick and if you like the show please check out our patreon which can be found at patreon.com slash discussing trek today we're going to be taking a deep dive into the first episode of star trek voyager my beloved star trek voyager and looking at caretaker number one and two so we're going to look at the introductory episodes of star trek voyager should be a lot of fun so guys what has everybody been up to everybody doing okay oh yeah i can't complain good 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 any happenings any any news you want to bring up uh i know cal mentioned uh billy d williams coming back in star wars episode nine yeah i think that's interesting i you know the he's the only one out of that original <laughs> group that that they haven't had on there so cool yeah it's kind of funny because he kind of got i'm not gonna say blackballed but maybe that is the right word <laughs> he got snubbed. no pun intended <laughs> Yeah, he kind of got the snub on the first few films, so uh, it is cool to see him. Uh, it will be cool to see him uh, make his return. Should be a lot of fun. So I actually have a news story. If nobody else has anything else to talk about, we did. Kyle, in our last episode, you mentioned the notion of there being Star Trek fatigue or the possibility of there being Star Trek fatigue like Star Wars fatigue uh, that we may be experiencing due to uh, what some consider 50% of the people consider a bit of a bad movie <laughs> along with let's, let's turn around five months later, six months later, and let's have a solo movie. Uh, but I think you may have been on to something when we were talking about this story about Patrick Stewart possibly coming back because man, uh, Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman has made a deal through 2023 to actually helm the show and also, you know, spin off into several, several different properties. So I'm reading this from trekmovie.com. Uh, breaking news, CBS expanding Star Trek TV franchises may include Patrick Stewart returning as Picard. So let's see here. 
It was announced by CBS that Star Trek Discovery executive producer Alex Kurtzman agreement to an exclusive deal through 2023. The new deal with Kurtzman's secret hideout production company will include uh, include Kurtzman, who just took over as Discovery showrunner, supervising what CBS is calling an expansion of the Star Trek franchise for television. So uh, we see this this five year deal that he signed. But what does that entail? That might be where Patrick Stewart comes into play. So I had a few theories of what Stewart's role might be in the series. Could it be a whole different spinoff? I'm still going to hold true to my theory that somehow Discovery is going to jump forward in time. That's just my crazy uh out there theory, but you know, a la generations. Yeah, yeah, a la or generations. I guess re- reverse of generations. Yeah, kind of. I mean, we do have the spore drive, which we presumably could time travel. We kind of know that, uh, but but you know, uh, we have the the notion of Stewart coming back, as well as um, Kurtzman signing this deal, which they are talking content spinoffs in the works, potential projects. Uh, I think one of them is a series set uh, in Starfleet Academy from creator Stephanie Savage and John Schwartz. And also there is the possibility of an animated show. Um, and they're, they're just this a bunch of different things. A series based around the 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 story of Rathacon. So they have a few things in the coffers which they they are trying to uh produce and make come up with something. And maybe and maybe in five years from now we'll be saying we're having uh Star Trek fatigue, which that's something that I welcome wholeheartedly. Any thoughts from any of you guys? Um, I would like to see a Starfleet Academy show. I think that would be an interesting uh, show to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like what you said, Clarence. I would welcome a fatigue as long as what they're giving us is good. I think some of the reasons we are saying that we're getting fatigue from Star Wars is because the movies aren't living up to fan expectation as a broad sense. I personally think that Voyager, I mean, excuse me, uh, Discovery did live up to expectations. It actually exceeded my expectations. So if they hit the same way that they have done with Discovery, I'm welcoming it. Huh. What about well, you, Carrie? Any thoughts? Um, well, for me, um, as far as like the fatigue thing, I mean, Star, Star Trek has been around forever. And I guess Star Wars has too. But the thing about Star Wars is... We're used to not having Star Wars for like ever. And then, you know, there's a movie and, you know, like the really the the MO of that series was they would give us time to miss Star Wars. So then when one came out, we were all excited. Now there's a Star Wars movie every year. And with this, I don't feel like it's the same like thing. Because it's number one, it's because it's a TV show. And number two, I mean, there's not I mean, if there were like three Star Trek series on right now, you know, then I would be kind of worried. But so is is he going to be in this show or is he getting his own show? Uh, Nothing has been confirmed yet. So I guess as of right now, we don't know. We don't know. Okay, like a crossover time thing, I would I would be cool with. Um, I just don't see how they could make him. As John Luke, I don't see how they could create another series for him. Yeah. Um. That that's the only thing that kind of has me hung up about the whole thing. 
Yeah, I, I definitely could see him making cameos, but the fact of him having a whole series is a bit of a stretch. Maybe a one-off thing, maybe a four or five series arc, maybe a one-off, one-season thing, maybe. T-N-N-G. Yeah. What'd you say? T-N-N-G. Yeah. The next, next generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I, I mean, I would like to see him in like a post-Voyager, like, offshoot series, like a one-off. Yeah. So how close? To catch up with how, everybody. How close are those series together? I know Janeway's in one of the movies, but like, how how close are they? Like, um, I guess chronologically. Uh, I guess technically, Voyager starts two years after TNG ends. If I'm oh, I'm okay. thinking correct. I think they did it in '93, and Voyager started in '95. Well, well, no, I'm talking about star date wise. Like, when yeah. when do they take place? I think they're all pretty close. I mean, I think the actual years in real life match closely to the years of the shows coming out. So I think. Oh, the, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I agree because when they got back at the end of the series, the people welcoming them home were in the, in the present. So, I mean, remember in that last series, yes. didn't they communicate across the stars with the present? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the times are very close to the real times as far as, um, not an actual date, of course, but an actual, um, from year to year. It's kind of. And story wise. Yeah. yeah story wise. So yeah, I mean, again, like, I think it's cool. Um, but we kind of have to relate it again to maybe the fatigue that set in in the past and kind of extrapolate to <laughs> what we might get and what we don't, what we don't want to see it go. Cause of course, by the time Enterprise rolled around, <laughs> uh, there was there was a bit of fatigue setting in, and if I take it to another beloved series that someone on this show loves, Stargate had the same problem. You know, they yes. had solid shows that were very good, but by the end of the run, it was just this fatigue that kind of set in, and ultimately it kind of ended too soon because it, the companies weren't willing to put money behind it anymore. You well, know, like within, I- t- within a couple of years, you had like for Stargate, you had like four different shows going. And it was just, you know, and and kind of like yeah. with Star Trek, you know, they had, I think, was it two or three at one time? You know, it was, it was a bit too much. Yeah, yeah, and, and to kind of give precedent or precedence or or validation to what you guys are saying, and this is not um, Star Trek or Star Wars or Stargate, but you take the Law and Order franchise, or you take the CSI franchise, oh, and you gosh. replicate it yeah. and replicate it and replicate no. it. Oh my God! I swear, dude, if you can, you turn on your cable TV guide at any point in the day, there is a CSI on <laughs> somewhere. There's a Law and Order on on one channel yeah. somewhere. Like it's it's so ridiculous. Yeah, and and maybe the fact that it's on this premium network, and we are we have moved to this mode away from. 22 episode seasons into a shorter, more core, concise um, season. Maybe that can be in Star Trek's favor and maybe even some of the other series for that matter. Uh, cause you're not stretching as, stretching it out as much. You're having more concise, focused stories and, uh, it's, it, it lends itself more to the Netflix model of having, you know, these stories that come out every year that, you know, they're this continuous thing throughout the series, but this whole season kind of sets along, uh, it's, it kind of stands alone, you know? So, so yeah. may, may, maybe that might be the difference to have 13 episodes rather than 22 and it can, it can, um, you know, push that fatigue a ways off. Yeah. I think we've mentioned it before, you know, I'd much rather have the 13 quality episodes that are really, really good than the 22 with like 
seven or eight episodes that are really good, and then the rest of them just kind of filler in between the really good episodes. Well, hopefully, so if they can pull that off. That'll help offset the fatigue, I believe. Yeah, hopefully now now that they're kind of the, I guess the producer in the per- place that it's airing is kind of a little more interlocked now since they own Star Trek, right? Does CBS own Star Trek? Yes. You know, they're not ordering they're not ordering 20 episodes of Star Trek from somebody like they maybe they can actually hopefully, <laughs> you know, they're not take, doing what take Disney is the, doing and just, you know, flooding us with Star Wars. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, hopefully they can take that into consideration and only make it as long as it needs to be, you know, as as opposed to just saying we want 22 episodes. Get on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, I guess we're ready to move right into the review of Star Trek Voyager Caretaker 1 and 2. Uh, if you have not seen these episodes, <laughs> is it? do I even need to drop this bomb? Uh, I think this the statute bumper? of limitations on spoilers <laughs> yeah. is expired. If you haven't seen oh, it, yeah. then too bad on you. All right, guys. Well, let's get right into it. Star Trek Voyager Caretaker. Unhappy with the new treaty, Federation colonists along the Cardassian border have banded together, calling themselves the Marquis. They continue to fight the Cardassians. Some consider them heroes, but to the governments of the Federation and Cardassia, they're outlaws. So, guys, do you remember the episode of DS9 where they, uh, Cisco actually has a run in with the, with the Marquis? With the Marquis? Do we remember that? Vaguely. Vaguely, yeah. Vaguely. So I guess the whole emotion notion is that the Mar- Maquis are born out of the this treaty that the Federation made with the Cardassians. And, you know, some of these colonists living in this these this this border region felt like they were slighted and that they had to defend themselves and they kind of formed their own coalition, so to speak. And that's where the, the Maquis were born out of. And, you know, some see it as a place for mercenaries and people just, um, you know, are tired of the Federation in, in a sense. So we see the beginning of this episode and we see this crew of, of now familiar faces that, are tr- that go into the badlands like you know seems like we've seen this scene before where a ship will go into this you know an asteroid belt or something to try to, <laughs> to dodge a ship that's following them uh what are what are our views on this opening scene and the whole notion of going into the badlands and even the Marquis, okay for that matter if you have any comments yeah like as a, as a star wars noob like i thought i'd seen all of voyager and i thought i knew a good bit about it but i've never seen the first episode before so i had no idea that chakotay and um what was the klingon girl's name balana 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 and like my first reaction is like they're they're bad guys what what's going <laughs> on here like i had i had no idea so that was that was pretty shocking to me yeah and it's so funny because the notion that they're Bad guys is kind of a fuzzy thing because they're kind of just p- protecting their colonies. I guess it's they're sort of freedom like, fighters. Yeah, yeah, they're freedom fighters, and it's it's just weird because they're doing things with with outside of the constraints of the Federation, but at the same time they're just kind of just protecting their homes. So yeah, I guess antagonist is a better word than yeah. bad guy. <laughs> No valid point though, because they are considered um, enemies to the Federation because they aren't following the rules. So, so, any other thoughts? Yeah. So my thought was, I I remember this from back when I first watched it, and seeing I remember in TV Guide knowing, you know, reading articles, knowing that Voyager was coming, and knowing uh, that I'd seen pictures of the cast, 
whenever I saw this episode, my first thought was, well, there is going to be something that happens because this is the cast and that, you know, they've got to become Federation at some point. What I had forgotten about watching it the second time is how many characters they were that that there was on the first episode, especially in those first 30 minutes that were disposable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just knew man. some people were about to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't recognize true. this guy. He's probably going to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One, one more thing I want to mention is I watched this with my wife, right? Um, And you know how I, how I got her to watch it? How was that? <laughs> I was like, babe, look at this captain. That's red from Oranges and New Black. Oh, she was like, no. what? And she said on her watch the whole oh, show with me. God. <laughs> she, I bet she loved saying, man, she was so much better back then. <laughs> How long ago was that? Oh, 95, man, 95. Oh, now, man. I can't watch Orange the New Black because <laughs> red is not, Janeway is not red. That, yeah. that, that doesn't work for me. I can't, I can't allow Captain Janeway to be this boo punching Russian <laughs> angry okay. lady. So it's really funny that you said that because I myself have never seen Orange is the New Black, and it is exactly for that same exact reason. Don't do it, man. Uh, keep 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 your dreams and, and thoughts of what you think the same way he is. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's, it's, I love me some Jane Way. And it's kind of close to getting your childhood ruined. Yeah, I'll be okay. honest. I, yeah. yeah, okay. I can't do it then. It's like Toys R Us closing. That's how it feels. But no, I mean, uh, just to go back, I know I mentioned the Marquis episodes from Deep Space Nine. Actually, the name of the episode is the Marquis. It's a two-part episode arc um, from Deep Space Nine. So if you have not seen that, it is very cool. Um, I would definitely uh, say check it out because we get to see some some cool action there. And uh, uh, there's another black rogue captain that Cisco ends up fighting. It's pretty cool. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, the Marquis from Deep Space Nine. So, uh, I guess we've established our thoughts. Well, no, I did want to say one yeah, more thing ahead, real quick. Um, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, how Carrie got his uh, wife to watch it. I'm on a full, almost on a full on Voyager ban at my house. What? And I had to fight to be able to watch this episode again because, according to my middle child, I have seen this is his exact words. I have seen every damn episode three <laughs> times in the past two years. Wow. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> Dude, you are freaking hardcore, man. <laughs> well, I put it on when I go to sleep because I have to have some kind of like background noise, and I know I can I I can fall asleep to it and wake up, and it'll be, and I'll still know what's going on. <laughs> I wonder how that would go over at a con. Hey, hey, I love your show. I'll put it on when I go to sleep. (laughs) Well, you know. There's there's almost a full-on ban at my house of this show. I had to have a special privilege to rewatch this episode. Wow. Like while people were awake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this this is probably maybe the fifth time I've seen this particular episode. So I think you had your watching is is way further. You and Judge mm-hmm. for that matter is way further than mine. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I could understand going to sleep and sleeping if this was Enterprise, but not Voyager. Oh, Come on oh, now. Low blow. Low blow. Oh man. Sing. <laughs> <Ching. laughs> <laughs> so we move on from this initial scene where, you know, we see the ship, um, the, the Maquis ship get lost in the Badlands. And then we move on to the penal colony, <laughs> the Federation penal colony. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, what are initial thoughts of uh, Robert Duncan and Neil as Tom Paris, the supposed uh, bad boy slash playboy um, that has ended up in this <laughs> colony thing? <laughs> yeah, he definitely looked like he had a comfy prison uh, uh, existence is yeah. my first thought. Why can't all prisons be like this? It seems What so was wonderful. he doing? Like scanning a rock or something or a tree or like I can't even remember what it was. He's <laughs> just watching work or something. I, I forgot exactly what it was, but uh, yeah, this was like very reminiscent of like the beginning of Discovery for me a little bit. Like the whole disgraced member of Starfleet getting a second chance. Yeah, yeah, he was actually there for treason. So yeah, man, um, it, it, it's so funny because. Star Trek is very much that utopia sense of how things we want it to be in the future. And ain't no prison I've seen looks like this. So if we ever get to that point, uh, I want to live in that world. <laughs> that's, that's, dude, dude, that's the Martha Stewart prison. That's oh, what yeah, is. you might be right. Yeah, yeah, you might be right about that. <laughs> the Little Wayne prison. Wait, uh, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. But, uh, oh man, Tom says one of the best lines in all of Star Trek history in this episode. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm, help me out. Help us out. So it's that one scene where they are, uh, approaching DS9 in the runabout and he's talking to the, <laughs> he's talking to the, uh, the Betazoid woman and she asks him, uh, do you always fly at women at warp speed? And then, uh, Tom Paris. And then he says, uh, only when they're in visual range. I was like, oh, that's so great. That's so corny. That's so good. Why do I love that so much? Why? Anyway. That's um, a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, as many times I've seen that episode, that's always one of the lines. I'm like, that's the grace. But anyway. Now, didn't um, she say something about being a Betazord and he was saying uh, about them something? She she burned him in, ret- in return yeah. to whatever it was he was saying. Yeah. Something about she's the coldest Betazord he's ever met or something like that. Uh, but uh, Hey, if you don't mind, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. And I hope. Uh, I'm not taking this from you, something you, that you were going to say. But whenever I saw Tom Paris for the first time, I was thinking about uh, what we saw uh, Robert Duncan McNeil say about that character initially not supposed to be Tom Paris, that there was another character from Star Trek that it was originally supposed to be. Am I right on that? Yeah, he's in his. In yeah. A, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I don't know the full story behind it. I was just. Remember hearing about it? Yeah, go ahead. He makes an appearance on uh, the Next Generation, uh, where he's part of this. And I haven't seen this episode in a while, but he's part of this uh, flight crew, and some accident happens. A story not too similar from his story on the show, actually. And um, you know, I guess he thought that he they thought that he would initially be coming back to reprise that role because they asked for an actor that looked like him. (laughs) <laughs> from that episode and then he wound up coming in and interviewing and getting the job so yeah he he very much the roots of tom paris are rooted in that character but i think we mentioned on our pentacon recap that they changed it just enough maybe not to play pay royalties to the original writer of the character. Ah, yes that's true yeah. yes and they could do whatever they wanted to with them so yeah he's, so so i'm confused is it the same actor the or same just actor. the same character. Same, same actor. Oh, same actor? Character. Okay. Yeah. Playing okay. a very similar flyboy character uh, in Star Trek. Yeah, but they chose okay. 
Yeah, you should definitely check out that episode too. I I need to research it so I can give it to you guys. But uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's some some awesome history of uh, of the actor Robert Duncan McNeil and his previous uh stint on in Star Trek. So we're back to DS Nine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> We make that approach and we're back to DS9 and we see Quark and poor Harry Kim. <laughs> wow. Let's just, let's just talk about Harry Kim for a minute. He is like the greenest character I've ever seen. Uh, I think Tilly might be worse, but, but he is so Might green. be worse? <laughs> Dude, Harry Kim is so freaking green, man. It, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful and funny and, and great at the same time. What do we think about Quark trying to take him at the at the very beginning when he's in DS9? Oh, I thought it was hilarious when he played the race card to get him to buy some stuff. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was hilarious, but still, Quark irks me. He irritates me. Quark is awesome, man. I like Quark, but I'm I was I was very excited to see Morn. Morn is my favorite, one of my favorite DS9 characters, even though he like literally just sits there on the bar stool the whole series. Yeah, any so was I, go ahead. I was just gonna ask, so was this calculated as kind of a a handoff or a passing of the torch? Is that why DS9 was in this episode? Did it necessarily have to be an episode? Well, yes. Uh I think it, it was very much a passing of the torch. If we go back to the <laughs> beginning of Deep Space Nine, we saw where Picard and the Enterprise was featured very prominently oh. in that episode. Wow, really? Yeah, so they're kind of doing the same thing, passing the torch to the next series, which I think is freaking awesome. Yeah, that uh, is. And it just all worked and felt like it meshed together beautifully. Agreed. Yeah, it didn't feel forced. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So, oh, oh, yeah, I want to go back and talk about this, the approach to the ship and the, the Betazoid woman. I forget her name. She didn't last long, but <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she did mention some things about the Voyager. Which I I found very interesting, but also I want to know that any of you guys immediately think it would lead to problems down the line, which I think it did. So when she was uh, when they were making their approach and runabout, she's like, oh, the Voyager intrepid class, a uh, uh, stable cruise velocity of warp factor nine point seven five, fifteen decks, crew complement one forty one, bio neural circuitry. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was cool. And, and let me say this, the, the, the Betazoid woman, the actress's name is Alicia Coppola, and I have always liked her. She's cool. I like her in everything that I've ever seen her in. So What else have you seen her in? Um, she was in Another World at one point. Soap opera used to come on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, ab- about the... the, the- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that's where I saw her in. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I think I died a little inside when I found out that my dad watches soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Times change. <laughs> I don't watch them anymore, but I did then. <laughs> but, 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 you know, uh, and maybe this is just me foreshadowing what happens later in the series. I immediately thought that the bio neural circuitry would be a problem. Even my first time watching this episode, and it happens a lot where the gel packs <laughs> go bad and just all these things go wrong with the ship because they're using this different type of gel pack based circuitry. So, you know, that just jumped out at me again because I remember thinking that was weird when I first heard it way back in the day. So, I just heard Warp Factor 9 and I was trying to figure out how long it would actually take them to, to get oh, home because. <laughs> not again. 
That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> nah, when I was thinking more. about my, okay, you got bio nutri or whatever circuitry. <laughs> I was like, what did you do? Dissect some brain? And seriously, I mean, what did you do? <laughs> Put brain matter in there? And it was like, yeah. is the ship going to come alive or something? Yeah. Well, in many senses, it was. If you, once you get into the series. Yeah, true. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about, we've talked about people not lasting very long. The, the Voyager, of course, enters the, the Badlands and you see some faces that you don't see no more for the rest of the series. <laughs> uh, first most, officer, what was his, what's yeah. his name? <laughs> first, was it Vatic Cavett? First officer Cavett. Cavett. Yeah, I think it was Cavett. Uh, the, the helmsman, whoever that was, I think that might have been that the, was the voyage. Yeah, her. The doctor. Didn't last long. <laughs> I knew he was dying because I'm like, that's not the yeah, that's not the doctor. Man, people were dropping freaking left and right, and you know, of course, um, we're moving toward <laughs> this notion of a combined crew. But I just want to go back. Like, what were you guys' initial thoughts of the EMH, Robert Picardo? <sighs> Seeing him like this kind of freaked me out because I'm used to the jubilant animated singing opera with Tuvok crying. Like, that's the doctor I'm used to. Like, I. <laughs> That, it was it was so weird, but I guess the, it, it it's just kind of you. I guess throughout the series because I've never watched the series in sequence, but me and my wife plan to. We're just going to see him develop into that oh, character that I know and love. It's going to be so wonderful. <laughs> it really is. Now, say I remember watching Stargate Atlantis with Robert Picardo, the guy who plays the EMH. Yeah, yep. and he he plays a different character, so I was more expecting that. But Atlantis happened after Voyager, so yep. I mean, I, I was—he didn't—he wasn't what I expected, but I was really pleasantly surprised with what he became. Yeah, and yes, go ahead. Kyle. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, for me, I felt sorry for him because he was designed for this <laughs> one singular purpose, yeah. and all of a sudden they just job. turned him on and left him on, and you know, and he was supposed to be like maybe you know, go treat this and then we're turning you off and you may not come back on for years. But then they s just turned him on and was like, okay, we're leaving you on. Photons be free, man. Photons be free. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but no, I mean, I mean, we've mentioned it before and as we go through these different series, we keep bringing it back up. But this type of character is what makes me just love S Star Trek. It, you know, his original programming, he is this, like Harry just mentioned, this kind of very robotic still kind of guy, you know, still he has some quirky, funny things going on even from the very beginning. But man, what he is by the end of this series is just off the charts and his growth throughout the series is, is, you know, when you think of data, you, you think of, uh, I think maybe Odo. Um, but just, just the type of character that by the end of the series, they've grown so much and you've grown with them through these seven, seven seasons. And it's just, I mean, I, I love Robert Picardo, man. He is one of my favorite Star Trek characters by far. Yeah. If I had to, you know, compare growth between data and growth between the doctor by far, I would give it hands down Robert Picardo's character. I agree. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Uh, so let's move on a little bit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Janeway and, and Mark. <laughs> you know, what, what do we think about her? And what I really want to talk about is, and, and maybe Kara, I would want to know your wife's reaction if she said anything about this part, but, but you have a female captain helming 
this ship and maybe unlike Cisco, well, I guess Cisco did show a bit of emotion as well, but, but we see where she has this love that she's very much, we find out she's going to miss later on because she's not going to see him. And, and I don't know, she's able to be, have this softer, tender side that you would expect from a woman, but flip that dime and she can be like, you know, the hardest, most commanding, um, captain ma'am sir that you'd want to follow you know what, what do we think about jane way early on um me personally um i don't this is gonna sound weird but she just she's just straight shooter like um i guess the complete op- polar opposite of the captains in discovery like even throughout this episode i'm like yep i i can see why i it reminded me like i can see why some people were so upset with discovery at the beginning because like you know she has her principles and it's like get in line or get out the way basically like i really like her character i mean i agree from the very beginning janeway you know i liked all these characters but for me janeway was one of the reasons that I attached myself to Voyager like I did. You didn't question her. You didn't question her being the captain. She she just had a presence about her that was energetic to me. And I I think she won characters. I mean, you know, won fans over. She, you know, she was what she needed to be. And, And I didn't really pay that much attention to her having the interaction with Mark about the dogs, because I was also thinking about, uh, Clarence, like you mentioned, Cisco talking about, you know, being, you know, distraught over the, you know, his dead wife. So, yeah. So that wasn't too dissimilar though. She did say one line. I was like, did they, did she really just say that? <laughs> there was this one line where she was talking to Mark and Mark said, Oh, I didn't want to bother you. And then she was like, Hey, uh, you never bother me except the way I want to be bothered. I was like, Whoa, Jane, <laughs> Whoa. Did I just hear that on Star Trek? No. Janeway getting nasty. <laughs> hubba hubba. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah. And of course we have the, one of my favorite interactions with Mr. Um, Harry Kim, she says, tells him at ease before you sprain something, which I think is <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then the whole part about ma'am, sir, captain. You know, uh, you can call me captain, uh, ma'am, in a crunch. <laughs> and then like Kim immediately turns around and calls her calls her ma'am, which I thought was hilarious. It's not a crunch yet. Yeah, which is freaking awesome. Um, so let's get a little bit into the story itself. Uh, 70,000 light years away from home. They're taking to this, this, to the, to the Delta quadrant by the caretaker who is bringing them there to see if somebody is fit to replace him. We find out. Oh, um, what, what? <laughs> oh, I heard a groan from Carrie. <laughs> What okay thoughts? all right i get i get that you know we get a payoff at the end but i swear like through most of this episode i was like what the heck is going on like i do not know like is it just me am i dumb like what is happening huh did any of the rest of you with, with the with the oh with the caretaker stuff anyway okay. like why is he why is he shooting uh <laughs> why is he shooting like why is he shooting off <laughs> into this planet like what is captain captain he's firing faster now <laughs> I, I, 
I just didn't understand that at all. Like it didn't make any sense to me that he's shooting his energy in, in, into this dead planet. Oh, God. You put it like that. <laughs> Don't shoot your energy into dead planet, folks. <laughs> well, he was in a hurry. He was excited. <laughs> to die for, literally. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh like yeah yeah you know I, I will admit it felt a little strange but i do think it was just the right amount of mystery to have you thinking like okay why is he really su- giving this planet energy to survive um like what is really going on and he's saying that you know i think he said something like his, his time is almost <laughs> up or something to that effect uh, <laughs> And they go down to the planet, and then they talk to Hobo James Carlin, and it's like George Carlin, sorry, and it's like I don't have, no, there's not enough time. Like it's all he said. It's, you know, <laughs> I I get it now, like seeing the whole thing, but like that's all I was thinking is like what and what <laughs> what? Okay, so, so 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 here was my thing. You take them seventy light freaking years across the galaxy, and I want to know which character's mind did they scan to get? Come on now, I have a picture of Lemonade and some sugar cookies. You want some corn on the cob? I'm not ready for you yet. We got some corn on the cob. Time for the gentleman be. Y'all need to sit down because the family's here. Come on now, y'all. It's not time to go in the bone yet. They, 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 they might have got that program from the holodeck or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody on that ship was thinking of like old form town, Ohio or something or the South or whatever. That, that was highly like, unlikely. It was like, if like, you put me like, in that, I would go freaking insane. I was like, Tuvok was like, perhaps they, they picked this to, to put us at ease. I was like, no, none of them jokers look like they at ease. They all like, I just went in in the twilight zone. They were, they were, they looked like I was thinking, like, I was just waiting for the banjo to start. Like, it was. Uh, wouldn't it have been funny if like they would have had a scene where the federation people are coming up and then there's this this woman going come on now and then they start running the other direction oh Oh my god and it's like it's like watching this with my wife like she's asking me questions like because she thinks i know what's going on like what do you know what's what is what why why are they in the south? Like she's just I'm like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Hey, it was the best thing they could do on the budget, okay? Okay, guys. Jeez. Jeez. Uh, it worked though. It worked. Yeah. I, I I make fun of it, but it worked. And man, I can't help but thinking poor Harry Kim, man. Oh, <laughs> Harry, Harry Kim, that scream. That scream, dude. With the coming down, I'm like, oh god, dude, dude, you know what I thought though? Like after they opened, took the VR down or the hollow, whatever you want to call it, down. Like I was like me, like just being like a a noob Star Trek fan. I was like, do they introduce the Borg in the first episode? Like my in my mind, like not knowing what the Borg. I'm the, when, when, took something when they took down the VR thing and oh, yeah, 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 they yeah, yeah, showed yeah, yeah, all yeah. the all yeah. the bodies, like I what I was thinking in my mind was this program was here to just like stall people until the Borg Borg cube could get there and like take them all away or something. Like I, that's what I was thinking. Uh, good hypothesis though. Definitely a good hypothesis. 
So, so we have these energy pulses going to the fifth planet. <laughs> boom, boom. They're getting faster. <laughs> They've agreed about point eight seconds. Oh man, they were playing techno at the end of that episode. Boom, 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 boom. What do we think about the fate of Harry Kim? Because I mentioned the, the epic scream that he had in this episode in Balana. What do we think of Feisty Balana? Mm, like her, totally like yeah. her. I was just like, why is Harry Kim the only one to scream? Like nobody else is scared. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. It, it, just just to talk about Balana for a bit, I do like how it seems like the mixed race characters are often the the most favorite that I mean, some of the most favorite I have is either mixed race or characters that are put in different elements. So, I mean, of course, maybe the most famous of them all being, being Spock. Uh, but then I like, I like also seeing characters that are kind of out, out of their element, which Worf and Federation, you know, and things like that. So I, I like seeing Balana, this, this Klingon human hybrid, um, uh, and that, and belling her in a rage and trying to be an officer. <laughs> what, man? <laughs> when, you, when you say rage, I just think about her like like screaming and punching that solid steel door like she was going to knock it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> I got a kick out of that. Sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up. No, 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 no. I'm killing myself over here. Um, so what do we think of the Kazon, the, the main enemy in this episode? The first uh, time I saw them, it looked like somebody just pooped on their head. And I could not get that out of my brain. Like I was staring at their at their tree hair the whole time, trying to figure out exactly what it is. Yeah, I thought they looked like the people from Dragon Ball Z, to be honest with you. Ah, I, th- I thought they were Klingons that like, were maybe missing a few chromosomes or something. Like they just... <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, Robert Duncan McNeil makes that same comment at his, at the panel they had at, uh, Pensacon. He says, you know, the K, don't get yourself wrong. The Klingon are, ba- the Kazon are basically Klingons, you know, for all <laughs> intents and purposes. Though I do think they were very, they were a bit more articulate than I thought they should be. Uh, when the guy, the main, uh, Kazon was talking, I was like, he doesn't sound thuggish, ruggish at all. He's just all proper and stuff. So. And yeah. can, can I, can I say one thing? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Like, I, you know, I'm all for suspension of belief and everything, but so I'm watching this episode. They land, you know, they land or whatever, and they're like, he's like, we've got water. And they're like, oh my God, you have water? And then they, they, their faces just light up because they've never, they don't, they're unable to get water. And then, like, at the end of the episode, they fly out of their spaceships. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, you got a spaceship yeah. and you can't go nowhere and get the water? Like, it didn't yeah. make any sense to me at all. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just those people on the planet because maybe all the marquee that were on the planet were not spacefaring, you know. Maybe. But it was the same guy, wasn't it? Well, yeah. That's what I thought so, yeah, too. Yeah. Quit poking holes in my show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this show. I'm just saying, like, that's the first thing that just stuck out to me like a sore thumb. I'm like, dude, fly a couple parsecs down the road, get you some water and come back. Like, gee. <laughs> and then I guess that takes us right to maybe... uh I would consider maybe the irritating character of this show, uh, though he is also beloved, Mr. Neelix. Oh, he wasn't irritating at all. I love Mr. He Neelix. was my favorite character in the, this whole episode, to be honest with you. 
Hmm. My, my opinion of Neelix did not change from episode one to the end of season seven, where it was just pure annoyance. Oh, <laughs> no. Pure annoyance. Disagree. I guess I should qualify what I'm saying. One thing they did really well in this episode is contrasting him with Tuvok. Like, that was just hilarious. Yeah. So, like, he finally, he, like, figures out what a replicator is, and, like, he, like Tuvok goes in his room, and there's just food everywhere and, like, stacks of water. And, like, it was, I, I thought it was hilarious. It was pretty hilarious. Yeah, yeah. no disrespect, Jeremy, but, oh, I, I, he is absolutely one of my favorite characters in Star Trek. Hey, he and Harry Kim are my two least favorite characters in this whole show, and they oh, just... I love Kim. Yeah. See, and Jonathan does too, and we have had this conversation many a times about my dislike of Harry Kim. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. Is, is he your Tilly in this show? I don't, I don't know if I'd take it that far. It was just, you know, they, <laughs> wow. If Kim, if Kim didn't exist, I'd be okay. He's there. He's, he, it's a fact. Kim is going to be there. I just accept it and move on, and just pretend, you know, just think happy thoughts whenever there's a Kim episode on. Hmm. All right, so Clarence, I'm going to say something that you're probably not going to believe. Go for it. There is absolutely no character in Star Trek Voyager that was a main character that I do not like. Hmm. I liked every single one of them equally, or some, well, not equally, but there were some I liked better. But there was from Harry Kim to Seven of Nine to Kess to everybody. I liked every single character in there. Yeah, I have to agree. I have no qualms because, you know, man, all of these characters are beloved to me, man. I I just really, really love them. Um, even Kes, even Kes. <laughs> no. Um, so let's let's just kind of wrap up the episode. So we see where the caretaker is caring for these planet, this planet that he's ultimately drained all the life from, apparently. And he's supporting <laughs> the Akampa because. Yeah. <laughs> No, sorry, man. Go ahead. Go, go, go. <laughs> and, and he's trying to support the Akampa, and we find out that he's dying and he can no longer do that. And he, that's why he's bringing people here to try to find a new caretaker to, to care for this planet. And so, yeah, we see all that happen. We see the, the great escape at the end where the, the crew gets out of the, the center of the planet. And we ultimately see where where the the caretaker is unable to send them back and Janeway has to make this oh, this decision and I man what do we think about this decision Janeway has to make to either take the trip back home or or destroy the the uh, array and lose all chances of going home in a in a quick fashion take the long way around so so what do we think about the decision was she justified in her decision was the prime directive really that important at that moment i don't know if it was more the prime directive it's just her own sense of morals and that that was the only decision she could make like there was no question about it hmm. i just don't think she could have lived with herself had she just went straight home and left this other quadrant in disarray like it was hmm. well, couldn't they have like like sent themselves home and then blew it up well, they said it was impossible. They didn't really give a justification as to why that was impossible, but that statement was said during the the end of the the last moments of the the episode. Oh, it was oh yeah. yeah I think now didn't they say that something about it was going to take like forty five more minutes or four or five more days for it to be um, powered back up again to send them home? And by that time, if they left it there after they got home, then the Kazon could take it was that is that it yeah i think it was something to that effect yeah 
Yeah, so, I mean, maybe it's the maybe it's the technological or the technical part of me that just I I still don't get how that whole thing made sense. Like <laughs> <laughs> this this was a godlike character, man, with this technology that nobody really can phantom at this point, and he needed a successor. That's basically what. Is it still? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I've seen this episode several I mean, times. So I, I understand. View, the, I understand the concept yeah. of it that he he's watching over this planet, and because he feels guilty, and you know he's about to die, and he needs to find. I, like I get all that. I'm just saying, like the technical aspect of him shooting. Okay, I won't get into that again. But like, <laughs> like that, it just doesn't make sense at all to me. He's just providing energy to this planet that he's killed. He's providing. Right. Substance to this. Oh, so like, is he? This is little. This is this is little space beams. Is that is that turned into that that slop they were eating? Like, is like he's basically like, sen- sending energy. He's sending energy because they did make the statement that the energy pull. <laughs> we'll have enough to power the station for like years, yeah, right? Yeah, and they're coming at a faster rate. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so guys, it's been but, 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 but back to back to if you don't mind back to Janeway's decision. Yeah. Maybe this was because we review this and I've learned to watch things differently. But I remember the first time watching it, not really even thinking about why she made her decision. It was like, okay, well, she made the decision and now they're stuck because you got a new TV show. But maybe I don't know if it's, <laughs> um, you know, thinking when we're, when we're thinking in the context of reviewing or if it's age because you know you're older and more experienced i guess but i was looking at it actually thinking what would i have done in that situation and the sad thing is i don't know what i would have done in that situation yeah and and personally i think it goes back to what carrie mentioned up top like how especially from the beginning of discovery they weren't really holding vast to Starfleet principles. And we see here where Janeway is making the ultimate sacrifice to uphold her Starfleet principles. True. Yeah. To, to not affect these other races and to, to actually save this planet of people. She, she's making the ultimate, you know, Starfleet decision. I think they even mentioned the prime directive, uh, near the end of the episode. So, um, yeah, the these these first series that we see we see captains that at all costs are trying to do the right thing and you know a vast difference from what we saw early on in in discovery so yeah kudos to janeway i guess but then again you're stuck seventy thousand light years away from home so there's that yeah so guys any other takeaways from this episode that I have not mentioned that you want to bring up maybe, or uh, talk about. So here's one thing that I've never understood through the whole series. And I don't know if they've ever touched upon it, but if Kess was stuck on this barren planet, how did she and Neelix become an item that he had to go rescue her? I'm assuming he knew those, whatever that race of aliens was, because I mean, he knew about them, so I'm assuming he'd visited there before. Well, yeah, he took a bunch of their water, so yeah, like he, they knew him, so I'm assuming he just saw her there and was like, "How you doing?" I, I mostly assumed that he, she had gotten, that she had, she was with him. Everything that Carrie just said up until the point of maybe she was actually with him and got captured by the Kazon. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured too. Yeah, but but wasn't she from the the 
yeah, other she, place. Yeah, she was. Yeah, from, she, yeah was. she was. She was from the underground city. She she showed them how to escape. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how they met. You know, how they came to be in the first place. Yeah, and then got separated, and then got back together. Yeah, I guess the thing we don't know is like how long she has been on the surface. If we knew that, we could probably gauge a little bit better about, you know, if they had time to have this relationship. But then again, she's only like six, isn't she, or something crazy like that. So she's like one. Oh, she's one. Oh my, yeah, they only lived to six or seven. Yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah. Yee, Neelix robbing a cradle. God. Literally, <laughs> she's she ain't she ain't nothing but a baby. <sighs> but oh man, but like for me, this whole episode, it just it it. You know, after watching Discovery and seeing something that so was so vastly different than other Star Treks, and I knew that, um, just seeing the the contrast in this episode. So like Harry Kim's the noob, and he's coming in, and like his his, his the way he acts, just I think it just kind of magnifies the the experience and you know the morals and whatever the values of the other crew. Same thing with Neelix and Tuvok, and of course with Janeway at the end, you know being the moral compass basically of the entire ship. Um, I don't think anybody else on that ship would have done what she did if they were the captain. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah, and I guess if we, again, like you said, compared to discovery, I think what we haven't seen in discovery, which I'm hoping we see in season two is more of how the crew kind of message message messes and how I can't say the word and how, <laughs> And how they kind of interact, because we definitely see here where everybody kind of has their roles. You know, Kim is the new guy. You know, you have uh, Tom Paris is the bad boy. You have the captain that's, you know, holding true to values. You have the, the, the zany Neelix who can find trade routes. So I'm, I'm hoping at some point in, in Discovery season two, we see a bit more about other than Saru and Burnham. And of, of course, uh, well, whoever the captain ends up being, we see a bit of, of how the crew meshes together. Cause I don't think we've got that at all. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, we're ready to end things off here. Um, I will go around the horn and ask everyone what they've been working up, working on, if not working on anything they want to plug podcast related or otherwise. So I'll start with Jeremy Barrow. What's up, man? What you got? Um, the only thing I got is I finally was able to sneak off and go to a movie last weekend. I saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Ah, I'm hearing good Probably, things about that. It, to me, it wasn't the best Jurassic Park movie, but it did have explosions of dinosaurs, and that's all I need <laughs> to be happy. Chick. <laughs> Fair and it was probably probably a little bit more emotional. There's a, there's a to me, an emotional scene in there, and I'm not going to spoil it because it'll get you. But it's definitely worth watching. Oh man! But skip 3D. That's not worth the extra money. No, that's that's my that's my rule for life. No 3D. It hasn't been since Avatar. <laughs> that's the only movie I've seen where 3D is worth it. Yep. Ever. I kind of agree. And if, and if there wasn't, agree. if there was a a showing that wasn't 3D, I would have seen that. But this is I was had to go with what was available. Oh man! Got to do what you got to do. So I'm right. going to to uh, Carrie. What have you been up to, man? Podcast related, otherwise. Um, not a whole lot podcast related except for Tape Edition. Um, we just recorded an episode. Was that Friday or Saturday? Saturday, I want to say. Saturday. <laughs> um, and we had a lot of fun. So, um, check it out. Uh, yeah, it was fun. So, I mean, other than that, um, I just been playing a lot of golf. That's fun. Cool. Broke a hundred for the first time ever. Ah, congratulations! By the way, cool. Thanks. 
All right. Well, Cal Jones, man, what have you been up to, man, podcast leader otherwise? Well, if anyone listening wants to check out some other things that you and I are working on, they can go to discussingnetwork.com. Cool. Well, all right. Yeah, I know. I, I was thinking, <laughs> wow, I sounded like I was fixing to say something else. and <laughs> <laughs> You had us on just the edge like, of our yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, guys, uh, I will also say just uh, check out, subscribe to this podcast, as well as, again, checking out our Patreon and YouTube page. And also check out TechPedition and Discussing Comics, Discussing Who, and all that other stuff that we do, which you can find at DiscussingNetwork.com. So, guys, uh, until next time... Prosper and live long. <laughs>